Ten Crack Commandments. All these countdowns to one. I think we're live. <laughs> I don't see us yet, but we coming. You see me? I am. We live. We, we live. live. <laughs> That's what's up. Hey, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to try and give people a little bit of time to, like, join us to get into the uh, link. But uh, we want to start off by just kind of giving people some time before we dive into the conversation. Um, so I guess let's just do the how are you yeah. before we even do intros. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good today. I'm, I woke up well-rested, so... And actually, the sun was out for a little bit this morning, so I'm, I know. I'm happy for that. That is true. How are you? I'm good. Same. Just, you know, happy that I woke up this morning and it wasn't too cold. Right. Like, <laughs> that's a blessing. Yeah. That is a blessing. Yeah. So we're going to have people slowly rolling in. So we wanted to just get it started. Um, first of all, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I am your girl, Fiery Phoenix, um, and I am here as your host of Primecast. We are kicking off this podcast for the first time ever today, mm-hmm. and we are starting off with one of my faves. Um, her name is Naila. <laughs> Thank and, you. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, Primecast is really just designed to have really good public dialogue, and, you know, we're doing it live on social media, so I'm going to constantly be checking if any of you comment, have any questions while we're talking, but we will be putting this on all platforms, so look out for us on Apple, on any of the places that you follow, um, your favorite podcasts, but we will be doing this every Thursday. We record at noon, but those will be posted later. Um, so carve out your lunch hour on Thursdays and come hang out with us. So, let's get it going. <laughs> so, um, I have known uh, Naila for maybe about, what is this, about five, four or five months? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little Same bit, off. almost a half of a year. Mm-hmm. And we've just kind of been collaborating around all things community engagement, all things um, neighborhood, art, culture. art, culture, all those things combined. And um, no better way to kick this off with somebody that has a, a very similar passion to me. Um, and so in the intro, I just want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so my name is Nyla. Um, I am 25 years old. I have was born and raised on the north side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, a few things about me, I, I identify as a music artist and as a dancer um, in Milwaukee. Um, I, used to, I grew up in the church uh, really doing a lot of uh, singing and soloing with the choir um, at St. Matthew uh, CME Episcopal. And then after that, I really started um, just focusing more on choir in school and in um, high school and college and things like that. So I did a lot of singing throughout my lifetime. Um, Started when I was probably about four years old and and then created a band when I was in college um, with about five folks um, that I, did for about four years, and then after that, I after I graduated, I really went into um, music in my own way and created a duo that I'm a part of now, where I am a vocalist, but I also play on the keys as well, um, in a group called Vibrancy. Um, so that's a two-person group that uh, I'm a part of. That's an alternative R&B um, song group. And then I also used to do choreography um, when I was in college. Um, I competed in dance throughout high school and then also in college um, and then later joined a hip-hop crew called Origins which is located in Milwaukee um, and did some um, performances and competitions with them as well. Um, So yeah, so that's pretty much a lot of my background. I really love to sing. If I have my one my one love is singing and songwriting. I absolutely love to write lyrics. I actually was writing lyrics this morning before I got here. So it's just like my little everyday thing is to be out here doing something music related. Yeah. That is super dope. So I did not know all of that past history <laughs> for you, but it's really great to hear it, you know, especially in this format with other people being able to hear about the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's a there's a lot about the work that you're doing right now that's very new to the community. Right. And I think it's really important that you really help people understand the the nature of the work you do with LIT. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I've been in the organizing world a really long time, but this is the first time I've heard a job title be a cultural <laughs> organizer. Yeah. And so I, I love the title. I think it's an mm-hmm. amazing approach to to bring culture into organizing intentionally. Yeah. But um, I'd love to hear more about how the title came about mm-hmm. and what that title means to you and the team members that you lead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I work for Leaders Igniting Transformation. So that's a, a nonprofit that works primarily with youth um, in the past, but now we're gearing more towards working with people up to age 35. Um, so the the cultural organizing title um, was something I had never heard of before when I had been when I saw about the job posting and people were talking about it, and I was like, oh wow, what is what is cultural organizing? It sounded like something that has to do with like almost like a diversity and inclusion um, position at a university or mm-hmm. something like that or at, a, at another job in an HR position or something. Um, but really uh, cultural organizing, I think the title uh, came about because it's, a, it's something that exists in outside of Wisconsin. Um, okay. There's certain organizations outside of Wisconsin that have that position title um, that basically what, what that means is you're really doing art activism. So you're using art and culture to really tap into and engage folks um, where they're at and then mm-hmm. be able to educate them around um, issues that are impacting them, how to t- uh, it really step into their power and create change um, through their art and through their culture and then be able to you know, make change that's lasting, that's mm-hmm. real, that's systemic. Um, so that's basically what uh, cultural organizing is all about. Uh, I, I think that for me, when I first heard about it, I, I think it's, it's such a broad thing. It's, it's very confusing, and pretty much everyone I share about it with, I'm a cultural organizer, automatically goes, oh, <laughs> what's that? What, what, is that a real, is that like a made-up thing? It's like, I mean, every position is a made-up thing. Like, let's be right. real. Like, titles don't really actually, a lot of times, encompass what the work is that we're doing. But yeah, I really like the title too. Like culture, that's mm-hmm. that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I really do believe that culture and art are not separatable. They're right. very much the same. Mm-hmm. And you know, good example, Rosie Petrie using art as culture and culture as art is yes. is a revolutionary act in and of itself. Yeah. Um, to to put it out there as a statement, and mm-hmm. I and I appreciate the the way this current energy of the artist is pushing the culture. Yeah. Like, because when we say the culture and everybody's using it loosely, <laughs> we are literally talking about art forms. Yeah, Like, practices exactly. that people have chosen to take on to do art. Um, and so I think that leads into, you know, the next topic and is really like talking about your actual art practice. So, you know, for myself, I don't get to do as much of my art practice as I used to. And so, you know, starting the podcast is a part of Mm-hmm. getting back into practice and practice is about consistency exactly right? yeah. so the more that you do a thing the more that it becomes your practice that's what the word practice is really saying that you right. do it frequently so tell me more about what your art practice looks like and what you would recommend for others looking to deepen their practice yeah absolutely um, so especially in my work that I'm doing as a cultural organizer I also spend a lot of time around artists from many different mediums. Um, so I personally, I can speak about myself as a performance artist. Um, the majority of my art career and creative career has been around music um, with vibrancy, um, dancing. I still do choreography for myself and for my own performances. And then also um, I've been doing some modeling in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I never really identified with. I never really identified with being a model, but mm-hmm. people come up and they, are, they cast you in casting calls and they want you to be a part of things. And it's just really interesting. And I just did um, Milwaukee Fashion Week this, uh, this past year. Oh. So that was interesting. That was a, a new experience, <coughs> excuse me, a new experience for me. It actually um, was really interesting and I really enjoyed and it also brought up the idea of how important it is and how much I actually put my, pour my culture into the art that I do. 
because um, you know Milwaukee Fashion Week is a pretty white space and it sure. just brought to mind again how important my culture is when I do my artwork um, so one of the things with my music I would say consistency is huge um, so that's and that's one of the things I know as, an, as a musician I oftentimes struggle with is mm -hmm. the consistency portion of it um, one of the biggest things is also I work in nonprofit and nonprofit isn't exactly a clock in clock out mm -hmm. job um, I've worked in nonprofit my entire uh, professional career. Um, so for me, it's, it's really trying to find that work-life balance mm -hmm. and then also understand like my music is another form, another job I have, like another mm -hmm. form of work that mm -hmm. I have. So I have to prioritize that as well. Um, one of the things I do is I know I use a lot of um, I use a lot of like message boards and like organizing boards because I'm a planner. Um, but I, I try to make sure that I'm at least on stage a couple of times a month. So whether that's paid or not paid, I want to make sure I'm performing, my face is out there, and I'm somehow um, putting my music out there and sharing that with people. Um, right now I'm currently working on an EP that I want to get out by the end of this year. Yeah, so I'm working on that right now, um, and I'm really excited about it because it's um, I have quite a few things written and recorded that I really want to get out there, but I just haven't done it yet. So I'm like, this is years I'm, I'm putting out that EP. Like, I need to put that out there. There's some things that I've been working on that I really want to share with folks um, that really encompass my story and my life growing up. Um, things I've faced, um, especially that impact me culturally and that impact me spiritually. Um, so I really want to share about that. I'm not religious, but I, I am spiritual, so I'd love to share that through my music. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Mm -hmm. That's dope. I, I really appreciate, so as a hiatus artist, so I have not consistently performed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. However, I have become a very arts administrative focused professional. Mm -hmm. And so it is a struggle. Some of the things you just said, making sure that you get on stage once a month is such an important goal that I have not successfully managed. Um, but I've created space for stages. Mm -hmm. So it is, a, it is a careful balance that you have to create because I think you're doing that as well. You're creating spaces for for stages, for all types of artists, visual artists most recently with right. the, um, uh, the MKE art movement event that we just had together mm -hmm. uh, that was so dope, so, so <laughs> dope, <you>. so, <laughs> so dope. But like having the ability to curate, mm -hmm. but then also managing the importance of the work and the creative things that you do, right. being out there is such a huge task and a yeah. lot of us are not always up to it and life right True. life can sometimes reprioritize everything every time <laughs> it's constant but I'm, I'm always very impressed with you know how you like the last time we were meeting you were like i've got a performance today oh and yeah yeah right? and i was like that's so good like and it's, it's motivating me mm -hmm. when i got here you know we we're at sherman phoenix and my people in so greedy are next door and when i got here they were like you don't perform no more, do you? Oh, stab in the heart, stab in the heart. <laughs> like, oh. that is one of those things that, that mm -hmm. you are reminded, you need to get back on stage, yeah. sister. Coming soon. I'll get my life together. I heard you've been back on stage, though, and trying out something so new. I did. That's out here. <laughs> so I did stand-up comedy. That was yes. the new thing that I did. Um, and I've been wanting to do that forever mm -hmm. because basically I've just been a stand-up act in the office. Like, when things get really uncomfortable, when a bad thing happens, when we're dealing with something that sucks, yeah, we usually just defer to comedy. Mm -hmm. That's the most frequent thing that we do. Because there's not much we can do to change the thing. Mm -hmm. But we can make fun of it. That's definitely a cultural thing for black people. Absolutely. <laughs> can relate. from crying. Can relate. <laughs> is something we specialize in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from, from my experiences, I would do it, and then the team would be like, you really should do stand-up comedy. You're actually mad funny. They didn't say mad funny, because you know, nah, culturally uh, diverse at work, so not everybody yeah, in our head, funny. In her head, it was mad in funny, was how head, they said I heard it. mad funny. You mad funny, B, That's what I heard. So like, they've been like, you know, sending me the, you know, the, the list of places where there's open mics, and mm -hmm. recommending that I just keep trying. So while I was in New Orleans, I did it. I finally did stand-up in New Orleans. And what was dope is like, I didn't know nobody, so it was super easy to get up there. Plus, the two people before me was not funny. Womp, womp. They were not funny. 
So it was very easy to just right. be like, if y'all can get up there and sound stupid, I'm going to kill today. Right. And I did. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep it up. Right. But, you know, if anybody knows me, nudges are important. So like the constant reminder of don't forget you said you were going to do this for you. Because it's really for me. Mm-hmm. I could not do it at all. Right. You know, with the many other things that I'm involved in. Yeah. It's easy for something to fall off my radar, but yeah, you do it all. Me, I, do, so. I do too much, <laughs> and that's the the moral of the story. What do I need to eliminate mm-hmm. is also what I need to figure out because yeah. you can't get pulled into everything. You're ineffective eventually. That's true, and you that's need to think of like what do you need to prioritize? Because on stage, stage is calling, stage is Fact. calling, and I've been called so. out like in this building <laughs> before recording the podcast. Like, what's up with your uh? Did you ever finish your uh? First of all, watch your business. <laughs> Sorry, watch your business. So, mm-hmm. moving on to our exciting upcoming series of events. Yes. Yeah. So, um, we have created this series of events called Coaching for the Arts. Right. Um, and it is a shared approach. We're both doing it together. But I would love it if you shared a little bit about um, what it's going to do for your group, your mm-hmm. community over at Lit. Mm-hmm. And then I'll also share what it's going to do for our community at AWE. Absolutely. So uh, at Lit, we one of the things I do as a culture organizer, um, I work with my coworker uh, Corey Fells, um, who's a dope photographer um, that a lot of people would know in the city um, and probably outside of the city as well. Um, but we we manage and work with um, artists in the city, and really we we work with folks, and we want we try to give them a platform to show their their artwork, their creativity. Um, in a way that is really meaningful and that's able to empower um, communities in Milwaukee, especially communities of color in Milwaukee. Um, so we, we really provide a space every month for our artists to really come together, black and brown artists, um, to come together and be able to create together um, and get the support that they need, get the critique that they need and things like that. Um, and then we, out of that monthly meeting space, we form a collective of artists who work with us to um, really create work with us and create work with each other, but also we want to su- provide different ways to support these artists. So one of the things that we're doing is we decided we want to partner with AWE and really put together this workshop series to provide professional development for creatives in the city. Because so many people are good at creating and they're so talented, but it's like a lot of creatives aren't really where they need to be and are lacking the, the entrepreneurial skills or the mm-hmm. business mindset when it comes to um, really branding yourself and right. taking yourself from uh, uh, art as a hobby mm-hmm. to art as a, uh, a career, as a, a profession um, that's really get, get bringing in like funding and money and able to support and sustain artists in the city. That's right. So that's really why we wanted to, to partner and be able to do that because AWE also has a dope cohort of folks that they work with and this is something that could be mutually beneficial sure. to all of the folks that we're trying to really empower and work with in the city. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then for us, so we hire somewhere between 45 and 65 artists in a year. That's awesome. And But what, what I don't love about it is we don't have as consistent of gigs for them. So they're mm. not full-time employees. They're termed in many cases. Okay. We only have in a whole year probably... Um, we usually will have like residencies that will have a whole year approach, but mm. they're not full time. So they're not full time jobs often. So maybe like 10 people will be in a termed position that lasts for a year and then oh, continue to, you know, grow their practice and do more residency programs. Okay. But we don't hire them all full time. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons that we cannot hire them full time is because of how funding comes to us. Mm-hmm. So it might be grants that only pay for an artist to do a specific thing. Right. But when you look at the bigger picture, um, the creative economy is wide open. Yes. Right. So I'm also yes. <laughs> um, uh, part of Imagine Milwaukee, and I mm-hmm. run a committee called Support for Working Artists with Stacy Williams on. And in that committee, we're focused on creating opportunities to get artists to that pipeline, mm-hmm. to that pipeline. And as we're building this, there's so many different needs that come from artists. Like every artist has a different, this is what I need. Right. Right. And, and so it, it's been really interesting to hear the spectrum of artists. Yeah. Some artists are like, we don't want no trainings. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's one artist. Yep. Fine. 
we don't have to train you. Right. And there's another artist that's like, I never get these residencies. I never get these fellowships. And I've applied and I haven't been successful. Right. So what do I need to be successful? Then there's another artist. I don't want to sell small, I want to sell big. Yep. I want to be able to sell my art at a sustainable price based on how long it takes me to build it. Right. And so there's this diverse price point. There's this diverse network. There's this diverse priority for the arts that, that every person needs to be able to decide. And I deeply believe in equity. So it's not give everybody things that, that are the same. Right. Give them what they need. Right. So when we talked about doing this, it's a merger of all the things that we heard in all those spaces. What we were hearing from you about building this cultural organizing space where artists are being seen as the leaders. Right. When we also model that in our work, we see artists as leaders and they're an essential part of humanity. Yep. So like humanity and the arts are not separatable, just like culture and the arts are not. Most things that we stopped doing because they're bad happened yep. because an artist called attention to it. Yep. Diverse range of medium. Yep. But that is a, a vehicle. That is a way, right, for them to find opportunity, make money, build their practice, build their income. And we believe, we all believe at the same time, that this is something we can make happen collectively. Right. We can all do this together. Right. And so as we're building this practice, we need to be giving people tools to practice while they're growing. Mm -hmm. So that's what Coaching the Arts is about, and I'm yep. really excited about it. Yep. So um, Coaching the Arts, the oh. first one is happening. March 14th. March 14th. <laughs> we are super excited. Yeah. Um, it's going to be at No Studios, yep. 10 until 2. And so we have um, two sections to this session. Um, the first part, we'll be hearing from some diverse artists from Milwaukee mm -hmm. that work differently. So the real theme is, are you a community artist? You don't have to be. Right. And if you want to be a different kind of artist, how can it look? Right. What can it be about? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the theme of the panel discussion. Yeah. Uh, who we have confirmed right now, I can share, um, is Patricia Evelyn Terry. Patricia Evelyn Terry has a studio right in Lindsay Heights. Everyone that knows Patricia Evelyn Terry knows that her art is amazing. It sells for top dollar. She is very committed to like, pay me what it's worth. Right. Otherwise I'll keep it right here in this house. Good. Right. <laughs> um, Della Wells, if you don't know Della Wells, come to this gathering so you can experience Della Wells talk about the business of doing art mm -hmm. from her perspective, which I love. I'm not gonna give it away. You just have to experience Della. <laughs> Della is one of our wise elders oh that you just goodness. have to listen to and learn how to like, yep, I'm going to take those notes. But then also a very popular uh, community artist, mm -hmm. Tia Richardson, will be with us as well. And, and historically, Tia is probably most known Milwaukee-wise and really Wisconsin-wide now. She has really yeah. gone statewide yeah. for getting community together to create art, which right. is something that you know really is the... The, the model that AWE adheres to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Tia, as soon as I joined AWE, was one of the first artists that I started talking with about her practice. And it is one of the most authentic yeah. um, community-guided practices. And I'm impressed by the way she practices constantly. She just keeps evolving with the communities and neighborhoods that she works with. Yeah. So the three of them will be there to have this conversation with us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the first half. But the second half is also going to be about building community trust. And, and that is so, so important to me. It is a pillar of the work that I do with Prime Solutions, but um, I think that trust is more important to me than a good idea. Because nobody cares how good your idea is if they don't trust you. It's not going to yeah, go that's anywhere. That's a good idea, but we are going to do it without you because yep. you're trash. <laughs> that idea is going to stay right there. <laughs> right. It's going to stay right there. Just right look here. at it. Like, that's a great idea. Over Good there. luck with that. I'm Good not, job. Yep. Keep working on yep. it. Yep. Maybe you'll find someone that listens to you. <laughs> right. It won't be me, though. Won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, the lesson in this is, you know, how do we get to the place where in this arts community, which seem to be, this is my own observation, a little bit different in sensitivities around ownership of their art and then the experiences that they've had in their art being shaped by someone else 
and this desire to be liberated from other people's expectations yep. means that the trust is in a different place for yep. them than most other groups. Mm -hmm. So building trust in the art community is so important from the perspective of culture. The division yep. between folk art and fine art is an invisible line, but one that we know what we it are. feels like when it's crossed. Yep. And there are some artists that their folk art somehow gets to become fine art. Right. And why is unique. Yes. Like every one of the artists that has crossed that path, sometimes they've taken their liberation, their mm -hmm. freedom with them across that line. Sometimes they, they have not. had to forfeit it. I just had to give it up. And so we need to have these real conversations. Yeah. So that's what that day is going to be about. That second half of the day is really going to be calling ourselves to task about this conversation. Right. Like, what do we want to see change yeah. in the culture of the art community? Mm -hmm. And all of the groups that I mentioned, Imagine Milwaukee, AWE, and Lit, were all very committed to shifting that culture and shifting that paradigm. Right. My hope is that everyone that does join us brings their whole self to that conversation because nobody can get to and pierce the core issues in my experiences like the artists. Right. So if they come to the table and they tell us what needs to be said, we amplify it. Right. Yeah. So really like again, like I definitely agree with what you're saying. We're in our different organizations as lit as AWE as Imagine, we're really trying to just be the platform, so be that provide that space where artists can be at the forefront and be leading those conversations, be the folks sharing what they need, what they want, what they're finna do because no one's finna stop them. Yeah, um, yep. Because creatives are all about creating a way. Like mm -hmm. there's, we create a way out of no way. We create mm -hmm. things that are unimaginable. Um, we take things to the next level. And mm -hmm. I think that that's really why we're trying to do this is just to give people the tools so that mm -hmm. artists can just do what they do best. Mm -hmm. Artists shouldn't have to, you know, go to business school just to be able to have turn their art career into, you know, a business. It shouldn't right. be like that. It should be, you know, folks in the community supporting artists. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things we want to focus on also is how so many artists think to get big and to be successful like, oh, I'm finna leave. And yes. the way the community is, the way things are set up right now, it, it is like that. Artists, mm -hmm. to be successful, mm -hmm. to get big, they have to leave the city. And what we're trying to do is create community that supports artists so that artists don't have to leave the city That's to right. be successful. Artists can be big and put Milwaukee on the map and stay here and be successful and have their community supporting them and also be able to put out work and art that's supporting the community and that's purposeful and that's really empowering folks here to, to make the moves that need to be made so the artists can stay here. For sure, so, yeah. for sure. So we want to defy the myth of the starving artist. Right. Like if you take anything away from the conversation, right. that's really what we're here to do. There's money to be made in this creative space. Yep, and, there is. and people of color, people from communities that have not historically had access to the art where wealth lives, um, we need to shift the paradigm and create a new path, a trail, yep. blaze a new trail mm -hmm. to that pipeline. And that's, and that's what this is the beginning of a relationship to blaze in that trail. Right. And I'm excited right. because I, I love you know, I'm a few years older than you. I'm lying. I'm a lot of years older. And, and like, and the, 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 the atmosphere when I was 25 was not like it is today for someone who is 25. And the beauty is this is a real opportunity mm -hmm. for a lot of y'all to skip some of the things that those of us that when we were 25, we had to go through because there was a belief that we didn't know nothing, that we didn't have the ability to make these decisions because we're too young or whatever the the stigma was, yeah. and I know y'all still have it, yeah. but, you know, thanks to the overall marketing of millennials, there's this whole different energy around, we should listen to young people now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't there when I was a young person. When I was a young person, it was like, yeah, just go find someone that knows, and then you do what they say. But you, you weren't, it, it was not that long ago that you were a young person, so um, it was not that I long I have ago. an adult child, and I embrace my age at this point. I am 43. Um, and I think 43 is live. 43 is pretty live. I like my 40s. That is live. It's been a good stage. You know, I have kids that are old enough to, you know, I don't have to worry about whether or not y'all need a meal or nothing. <laughs> Go open the refrigerator. <laughs> There's some food in there. Right. 
So I hope you all join us that are artists that are on here. Um, I, I just want to shout out a couple people that I see on here um, with us. Uh, my sister Camille Mays, founder of Peace Gardens. My um, sister Joy Becks, Rebecca, um, and my brother Larry Andrew. Um, the photo that is featured for this, he is the designer that created my custom outfit. Thank you very much. And um, so then this is our last topic and probably the one we've been waiting on. <laughs> so we, I don't know if y'all know this, we two black women. <laughs> um, so we saved a space for the experience of black women in the creative community. Mm -hmm. And this is probably where we could be a little bit messy if we want to, I don't know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but. You know, I, I think I'm going to let you go ahead and, and kind of kick off some of the, and we have these conversations all the time in our meetings, right? Of, yep. <laughs> your little back was so <laughs> real, dear me. But we have these kind of experiences in our conversations, right? So let, yep. I'm going to leave you some space to just, to start the narrative of the experience of the black woman in the overall creative community and go. <laughs> um, so... My, my experience as a, as a black woman in the creative community has been, uh, really the biggest thing for me was having to find my niche. So really being able to find where there are folks who look like me, who are looking for ways to support other folks who identify the same way as I identify, um, really being able to kind of like find where I fit in. It's like I can't, um, so for me personally, especially, I, I like using uh, dance and music the most to explain like how I do things um, and how I find my niche. So a lot of my niche was found because I, I used to like choreograph um, contemporary West African. Um, I love West African dance. I love that music. I listen to Idol King Radio. Like that is my, that's my, that's my ish. I don't know if we can cuss on here. That's my ish. I don't know, we haven't decided. No. <laughs> <laughs> So I really love that. I love to be able to just like find something and choreograph and create to it. And for me, um, I really like also, I also like diversity. So for me as a black woman, I feel like I thrive the most when I'm around diverse, a diverse group of people. Yeah. You know, like I'm not trying to completely blend in and like get lost in the background, but I'm also not trying to be the only person who looks like me and stand out and be like the only black person on a, on a dance crew or um, involved in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I really like to be able, and I also hate tokenism. So I, I'm not gonna be the, the black person that performs the hip hop solo by myself at a show that it's the only hip hop performance and I'm the only black person yeah. in the lineup. Like that, I'm not gonna do that either. So it's really like kind of finding your niche. Um, and for me, with music, one of my things with music is, um, and it's on my Instagram bio too, how it's like really stitching the north and south side of Milwaukee together oh, yeah. through art and culture and dance. Um, so my, the other half of the duo for my vibrancy, the music that I do, um, is from the south side of Milwaukee and is a Mexican, American, young man. Um, so really being able to draw that into each other and be able to bring together the north side and the south side, but through art. Um, we're very different people, we come from different cultures, but we also can relate around a lot of things because a lot of things that we go through, especially when it comes to like how we view family and things like that are very similar. Um, so that's kind of helped me being able to put that into my music and being able to say, this is how we identify, this is how we are as a group, um, and then be able to fully just be myself. Like I don't have to try to um, perform something that's not in my comfort zone, that's not something I grew up with, mm -hmm. because I get to be like, nah, I'm from the north side of Milwaukee, I have born and raised here, I'm a black woman, I'm a queer black woman, and I can put all of that into my music, and the person that I'm working with um, doesn't have to put that into their music, because that's not their identity. And it's really about what is created when you bring two separate things together um, and see what that, you know, that creates something completely different. For sure. So that, that's really how I found my niche. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, our experiences are similar, but also very different. And mm -hmm. I think the, the thing that 
And you may have also had this experience too, so I shouldn't speak for you on this one. Um, but so I came up in hip hop as a one of the only girls in a crew, right? Um, uh, shout out to Boot Camp, shout out to Gorilla Promo, shout out to Fidel and Gideon and all my brothers. And, you know, coming up in that space and being around a lot of, you know, like, so I, I started with singing. Mm-hmm. And what it was is everybody would want me to sing their hooks. Wait. Oh. The hooks to their songs, right? <laughs> but they would write them. Okay, but what so about your own stuff? Ma'am, so let me just, I'm just take you on, I'm taking you on a journey. <laughs> So, drop the album. That the, here they go. All right, hey sis, I need you to sing this song. Some stuff I would never say about you, sir, because I want no parts of you. But I've been asked to regurgitate this hypersexualized message for someone who I view as a brother. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started, right? It would be like, yeah, when I see you, I get all hot and bothered, and so therefore you the one. They have you I'm saying that? Deeply. They would have you saying that. Yes. Because historically, think about it. The girl who sings on like all the dog pound songs. What's her name? First of all, we don't need you. <laughs> Shakes over here got actual names. I'm making a point. He's about her name, Jewel. <laughs> he know her actual name. <laughs> but, yeah. but the whole point I'm making is, yeah, sis who be singing on the hook don't never get no album. Exactly. Don't never She's no a feature. Project. She's a feature. The only ones I can think of are like Angie B. No, she didn't finish no album. The Angie B was Juicy Got You Crazy with, what was it? Oaktown 357. Oaktown 357. It's a little bit before your time. So point I'm making like, it is very rare. Your age is showing. For a sister who just sang the hook to get her own project. Yep. We can list those sisters on our one hand, right? Yep. Mary J. Blige, Faith Evans. Am I done? <laughs> am I finished? Don't ask me. Am I, am I, am I'm I not done? contributing. Am I finished to... or am I done? So <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we have so many women who started out that way, that didn't work, right? So fortunately, I just let my brothers know I was done singing on the hooks. That was trash for good, me. Good, good. It just didn't fit me. Now, mind you, this was one iteration of, it wasn't all of the songs we did, but in the very beginning, mm-hmm. the first couple hooks that were brought to me were not appropriate for me to sing based on my relationship with y'all. I am not nobody's girlfriend in this group. I'm not here for y'all. I sound stupid saying this. Everybody know I'm not really here for y'all. Uh, Low-key, my baby daddy will be in the back all the time. There was, I, I was all the way committed in another place, right? So it just bothered me and eventually it changed. Then I finally did some music of my own. I Good. wrote my own music. I, you know, sometimes I would still sing some of the stuff that I could sing. Like mm-hmm. Gideon had songs that were more about the community, more about the struggle, more about liberation. So those I was fine with. Good. But mm-hmm. every now and then somebody would want me to talk about something that I wasn't cool with and I just had to say no. But over time, that has shown so many problems for women in mm-hmm. hip hop. It's always somebody else writing their lyrics. It's always somebody else preparing their narrative, preparing the way that they, their persona is present. You know, mm-hmm. and then that is something that I was not interested in. Plus, I was a 100% culture pusher. Yeah. I was a women and ladies first advocate. Mm-hmm. I was at the time working for women's social justice issues. So it just wasn't my brand. Right. So I kind of quit out of the, the challenge of it was hard for a woman to break in without somebody trying to control her narrative. Right. And, you know, fast forward to the art that I'm doing today. It's now on the other end of the spectrum. I am the first black executive director of the organization that I run. That is also a woman. Period. Um, and so as being that, the experiences that I'm having, no one's ever had in this space. Right. Um, when I'm having conversations about things that are difficult, it is very different when those conversations require me mm-hmm. versus, you know, we did something that we need to change our practices in some way. And it might have been inappropriate somewhere. So let's just do our life hack behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's harder to do a behind the scenes life hack when the person who is the face of the organization looks like me. Yeah. Right? 
we have to do our work in front of people. Like right. the first thing that happened when I got hired there is black people were calling me to task about experiences they had with the organization. That was first. Like before you came, I had this experience. And some of them might not have been right. I don't know for a fact. Maybe right. they didn't do their parts. So I didn't make assumptions. But it has been quite a journey experiencing this role. And then it also opened my eyes to a lot of things around the arts in Milwaukee. Right. Even when mm-hmm. they are community-based arts, there's almost always a person who is white who is securing the, the bag. Assets, the bag, in fact. And, and so that that is that is one of the things that we must navigate that is very different for yeah. us than it is for any other leader. Mm-hmm. More complicated by nonprofit because that money historically gives to someone that looks like them that may be doing something for communities of color, right. but may not necessarily be from a community of color. Right. Yeah. So that's my big loaded experience trying to figure out who I am in this space. It's a constant journey. Yeah. Wow. And that's one of the things um, I've actually been seeing this on Facebook a lot lately when people are talking about how come there aren't more black women leaders in uh, different positions, especially in like nonprofit and outside of nonprofit in Milwaukee. And it's like there's not really the, the support for like once black women get into that leadership role, the support for them to keep them in that role isn't really there. So that's that's something that's like I definitely admire about you as the executive director of artists working in education, um, and being the first in that type of role in an arts um, organization in Milwaukee. I think that's really amazing. Yeah, I think the struggle has always been that we would always want to be in the role where we we're making the decisions. That's how I ended up there. Like a lot <laughs> of the things that I did, my ideas would not make it to the end like someone somewhere in the telephone game would say i don't want to do that and it just wouldn't happen and so eventually what happens to most leaders in nonprofit that that have good ideas that don't come to fruition yeah you seek a place to produce what you know will work mm-hmm. and because you're the one doing the work you know better than anyone else and so you know i landed in this thing because i am maybe ridiculously brave. I don't know if that's a way to put it. I'd definitely say you're brave. Um, but the bravery is also with a, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen when I get on the other side of these leadership roles until I get into them. And right. I think that's, you know, as you're growing in your career, I think you'll see the same thing. You know, it may not necessarily be the same reasons that I've left roles that I've left, mm-hmm. but I usually left them because there was something that could have happened that didn't happen mm-hmm. that I was not given the space to create. Right. And, and what I love about being here is, you know, there's still quite a bit of vetting that has to happen through multiple cultures, mm-hmm. but there's a different level of trust that I'm building with people who also have never experienced a black woman executive director that are afraid to. Yeah. Because I mean, even do good or white folks are afraid of losing things from having a black woman director, a black person leading an organization. And so that conversation becomes about, you know, are you gonna do what you've always done and get what you've always got? Or are you gonna do something different because what you've been doing has not gotten us any closer Mm -hmm. to the solutions that we say we wanna get to. Right. And that's that's the thing where we have to call the community to task. looking at it from all the nonprofit positions, all the leadership positions that are open, black women are not applying. Yeah. No. They're not willing to take that risk at the detriment of their families for organizations that may not be ready for their brand of leadership. Right. And, you know, I'm a I'm a frequent search name, mostly because I've been in Milwaukee for a long time. I have roots. So if something comes open, I'm often tapped and when that happens I often say I am an executive director of an organization right now in Milwaukee is small mm-hmm. so I mean you even tapping me I hope you ain't told nobody you tapped me first of all because the the trust levels within boards yeah like if they hear from someone else that you're searching they get nervous yep right so mm-hmm. like once you step into the leadership space especially a nonprofit yeah it's so political mm-hmm. little be political like in that Everybody talks to everyone. 
Yeah. So you it's a small community. What's gonna like what's gonna set people off, mm-hmm. make people nervous, and and you just have to manage the expectations of a bunch of people who might not even honestly tell you that they're concerned or worried. They might mm-hmm. tell everybody but you. Right. Which is the Milwaukee way. Yeah. Tell everyone else and hope it returns to that person. Because <laughs> it will return back to you. It's, it will. It's small walkie, so then, it's gonna get back to you. Then, but you know, my you know, my stereotype is, is activated. Right. Of course. Because <laughs> you talk about the ang- about it. You talk about the angry black woman. I am frequently <laughs> an angry black woman. It's not a lie. Right. It it might be a stereotype. Mm-hmm. But I be that. Same. And, and when it happens, I don't pretend like I'm not. Same. Sometimes I find a way to at least soften the blow, but it's still going to be a two-piece. Right. It's still going to be that straight, no chaser. It just might be, you know, the juices at the bar. Go grab a juice if it was a lot. And and that's that's the work that we have to do. I am happy, though, in my role because these realizations of me making history, it's still Black History Month. Yes, it is. I am still making history every day mm-hmm. in staying in this role, committing in this role, and cultivating the art community for us, by us. Right. And, you know, as we're doing that, I think I come with my brand is trust. I work to be trustworthy. Yeah. It's like, I don't assume anyone's going to trust me. Right. So I come to the table knowing that it don't matter what color the person is, what background they come from, age, demographic, trust is something that people measure out the way they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I come to the table differently with trust. And we'll talk about that if you come to the gathering. I've shifted my paradigm around trust. Yeah. But not everyone has. And so mm-hmm. they come to the table without it. Like, they start, like, I can't trust none of y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are y'all going to steal from me? What are y'all going to rob me? going to treat me bad. <laughs> and so they show up with this energy, but that energy that fills a room. Yeah. And, you know, I can't, I can't live like that. Mm-hmm. I also can't be out here telling my children that they can do anything if I walk into every room and act like I can do nothing. Right. So it becomes a dynamic that we just have to figure out how to help people shift. Yeah. And I feel like that trust piece is so real because especially like with it being Black History Month and stuff and with us both being black women, I'm going to get really into the the black history part of being an artist. So like throughout history, uh, black artists were robbed and they had their, their music, their composition, all of that, different things stolen from them and performed. I mean, look at Elvis Presley. He stole so much music from different black artists um, and people still love him and those black artists still aren't getting their due to this day. Um, the families who should still be reaping the money from those, that, those amazing, talented black musicians. You know, it's just like that's so consistent. It makes sense that especially around creatives of color, there's not a lot of trust. Yes. With artists, there's not a, there, there has to be, trust has to be earned. Trust has to be built. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that we're pouring time and energy into to make sure that we're, we're doing right by people. And like, especially even when it comes to markets and the arts, there's different markets and there's things where certain people try to undersell people. And I know we've talked about that. So Ooh. then that builds a problem of trust around people trying to undersell themselves. And then other artists feel like they have to, you know, not, price things at what they're worth at the what their value is and we want to make sure artists know your your value is your value is the time the experience the years the culture the things that no one can take from you and pour into what you've created and no one can take that away from you there's a value to that that cannot be taken away and so that's something you want to make sure that we're also sharing with artists um at the in the coaching the arts workshop series that we're having because um, that that workshop series um, and I just want to plug it a little more um, there's an eventbrite um, that's going live today for folks to be able to register um, at that workshop series which is going to be on March 14th so if you're interested please register on eventbrite it's free to all artists who are a part a member of AWE and also to artists who are in lit's uh, artist collective so if you're uh, in either of those it's definitely it's free to you please be there we're providing resources and folks to come in and share about things that artists have asked for in the community and we want to really be there to create the, the infrastructure to support um, support creatives for sure and so i just want to also plug the awe membership awe memberships are an annual membership for sixty dollars um you can join if you are an artist that wants to get connected to more opportunities 
to vend, sell your work, to network into spaces where there are fellowship opportunities, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the artists that we hire um, in the year, they are automatically members. So we make sure that we train them and give them the training necessary. Because I think, you know, and that's why this are you a community artist conversation is important. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to be a community artist for every art installation that exists. But you do have to be a community artist to work with AWE. <laughs> because we are working with neighborhoods. We are working with kids. We are working with families. We are working with systems. And when we're doing that, we are not here for your, only for your creative intellectual property. Mm-hmm. It is a collective intellectual property that we're trying to develop so that neighborhoods are valuable, neighborhoods are hard to break up, and gentrification is prevented. So the goal is to make it where things belong to them. Mm-hmm. So, But that doesn't mean you don't have the right to choose another art path. Right. So what I would rather do as someone that's leading an organization where I need you to be able to talk to human beings and not be problematic, <laughs> I'd rather train you to do that, provide you with the supports you need for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing with this program. You don't have to be a working artist for us. But it is a pipeline into our opportunities. Right. And, and I think it's the same with, you know, coming over to working with LIT. LIT um, recruits that are through this cultural organizing group, we are treating them just like our actual employees that we hire mm-hmm. because we want them to be hired by us through this network. So when the opportunities come, we hire who is reliable. We would like to diversify who we hire, but... When we gamble on some people, they ruin the bag. And I'm just being completely 100 with you. I can't afford to ruin no bags. I need all the bags. So, like, at the core, I want us to all win. Mm-hmm. But I want us to have the tools necessary to win, whether right. it is with me at AWE, right. with Lit, with a private, you know, application that you do yourself. Some of these artist opportunities are RFP'd out. You can do it yourself. We want to help you do the RFPs. Right. We want to help you write a better application. Right. And if we can successfully help you with that, we still count that as a win for flooding the pipeline for the creative economy so that people are working consistently. One thing I'm proud of at AWE, when I first started, a whole bunch of unemployment letters was coming in. Why? Because they were laid off periodically. And so, you know, we had a lot of letters come in. Mm -hmm. We have less letters coming in to the tune of almost no letters. Like at this point, it's been at least six months since I've seen an unemployment letter. That's beautiful. What that says to me is, we've worked really hard to train people more intentionally. We've worked really hard to prepare them for opportunities. And when they weren't working with us, they secured something with someone else Mm -hmm. and we supported that. Right. So if nothing else, we just want to see everybody win. Right. And we want to see like the the funding that comes into Wisconsin for the arts that's private is top tier. Right. But the public funding is non existent. Right. And the people from the community are not the ones that are being paid this top dollar of the money that's coming in. Right. Those are international working artists for the most part being brought in to do something for Milwaukee and then occasionally Milwaukee-based artists have worked their way to a a category where they're also tapped. Gotcha. But that's not everybody. Mm -hmm. And and I want to see that number increase and I want it to include people of color. Mm -hmm. And so that's my ultimate goal. That's our ultimate goal. Right. Is flood this pipeline by making making sure this pipeline looks like us too. Right, making sure that the art that's in the city, um, all the artists and creatives also of color are being represented. So it's not, there's fine art and then there's black art and then there's this type of art. It's like, it should be just art and it should be Black art is fine art. Exactly, black art is fine art and that art deserves just as much representation, support, funding, um, uplifting and as much as any other type of art. So it's things like that that we really want to make sure that folks of color know about these opportunities and are able to, you know, tap into these opportunities and also be successful. Um, Because a win for any creatives and creatives of color especially is a win for us. That's a fact. mm -hmm. That's a fact. So we are at the 1 o'clock-ish, it's 102, Mm -hmm. um, time for our recording. 
Um, and I think this, I think it flowed pretty dope. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this. Yeah. Podcast one is down. Right. Um, major shout out to Power Forward Media and Shakes, who is really changing the culture out here <laughs> as a leader. I am mad impressed with him and his tenacity. <laughs> he has built a machine of, um, I want to call it media hack. I love it because we need to be creating our own media, spreading our own media, and building our own narratives. Amen. And we can look at the news and see that that is not their primary goal to build our narratives. Their primary goal is to build fear, false evidence appearing real. And so I am real, real happy um, to be partnered up with Shakes on all the things that he does to provide his name to everybody who needs live streaming, who needs podcasting, who mm -hmm. needs networking to be marketed. Um, but just to, to push your movement, whatever your movement is, Shakes is here to provide you uh, that service through Power Forward Media with his mm -hmm. team of young uh, engineers is what I'm gonna call them. Yes. They are experienced engineers. Um, so we're gonna wrap it up for the day. Mm -hmm. This is a Thursday noon feature we may i share one plug on really Thursdays. quick turn it over to you one more plug let's get it <laughs> so we have um and this is something i've also shared uh with the shandra recently um so we're in and we're also doing a workshop series um on top of the coaching the arts oh, one yeah. the coaching the arts one is a partnership with awe and that one's coming up first on march 14th so please don't forget about that one look for the link for that to sign up on eventbrite um, but also lit's having a a workshop for artists where we're bringing in national artists from um, around the world and um, to really come and talk and pair with local artists in Milwaukee who are also doing great things and taking their careers to the next level on the same trajectory as these national artists to really talk about what it's like to be a creative of color in their career fields and their experiences and what they're going through and how to be successful um, the roadblocks, the, the struggles, but also just like the, the success stories um, and what that's like. So that'll be happening. Uh, the workshop series is called Dropping Gems. Yeah, so that'll be happening um, the week after Coaching the Arts. So that'll be, that one will be happening on March 21st. Um, same location at No Studios um, at 3 p.m. Um, and that one's really going to be highlighting two national artists right now. One is uh, DJ King Marie, um, who is a DJ from Chicago, who also does uh, modeling for um, Jordan and Nike. And then also a, another uh, renowned artist who's a national artist named Drayley, um, who has taken photos. She's a photographer. She's taken pre the pregnancy photos people probably have seen from Beyonce, um, photos of Pharrell, photos of Kanye, NERD, um, folks like that. So they're going to be coming to Milwaukee and really sharing some of their knowledge and um, with folks here. So, you, you know, these are two dope workshop series. Um, and one is around business and professionalism for your own art career. And another one is around um, hearing about other people's experiences who've already made it. So really you know make sure that you're there for both of those those are gonna be awesome opportunities for creatives in the city for sure for sure so this partnership is ongoing we will keep promoting and cross-promoting each other's programs and right. opportunities um, but we are gonna wrap it up at this time thank you so much for listening for watching for those that were here with us live again keep us on the radar on Thursdays we will keep posting primecast uh, podcast and thank you so much that is yeah, a wrap thank you